Good morning, everybody. So I'm going to go ahead and give you all a disclaimer on the handouts. Um, I will use all of the blanks, but not necessarily in the order they are in the handout. Um, over the, I, I felt like a few weeks ago, I, mean, I knew kind of exactly what I was supposed to preach, but I had two different sermons wrestling in my mind as I tried to put it to paper. So, um, I mean, it was really the same kind of context, but just in the way to organize it. And so um, we may jump around the handout. So I will try to point out when something's in the handout, but I'll just need you guys to keep an eye out for that as well. Um, as we begin, there are three questions I want us to ponder throughout this sermon. I want you to have these three questions uh, in, in, in the back of your mind or the forefront of your mind, actually, as uh, we work our way through this text. The first, the first question I want you to keep in mind is, do we really believe what happens in here applies out there? Do we believe what happens in the Word applies in the world? First thing I want you to keep in mind. The second thing is, as we talk about sowing seed, we're going to ask the question, what kind of seed are you and I sowing? And then the third question I want us to keep in the back of our mind as we go through these two parables is this. Do you and I wait or persevere with joy? So do we believe what happens in the world, word applies in the world? Do we pay attention to what seed we are sowing? And do we wait or persevere with joy? And so from our text... He said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain of the ear. And when the grain is ripe, at once he puts it to the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said... With what can I compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown in the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up to become larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. In this verse 26... The kingdom of God is like if a man should scatter seed on the ground. And again in verse 30, he says, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable can we use? You know, as we've been going through these parables, Jesus is doing something that we're used to. You know, how do we explain a complex concept to a child? We take something they do know or they do understand and we link it to what they don't know or don't understand. And it's the same thing for us adults. Uh, you know, if we try to teach somebody a new concept or a new technique, we try to find something that they do know, and we link what we're trying to teach them to what they don't know or what they don't understand. And so that's what we've been doing in all these parables. And then we get, uh, as we're entering in uh, the, these five weeks to the end of the year, uh, we're going to be discussing the parables of the kingdom of God. And these kingdom parables are complex, but we'll see Jesus again and again 
uh, like he has done in all the parables, tries to link the things we don't understand or the complex things to something we do understand. And so he compares the kingdom to God if a man should scatter seed on the ground. Now here's the context of this parable. It is not a coincidence that this parable comes on the heels of Jesus teaching the parable of the soils. You know, uh, I also was telling David, I find it interesting that we began all of the parable series with the parable of the soils. And now we're beginning the series on the parable, uh, parables of the kingdom with the parable of the seeds. And so I, I don't think there's any, any coincidence that, that Jesus moves from the one parable into the other. And just to kind of remind us, when we talked about the parable of the soils, there was the path. And that was the person who receives the word but does not understand it. And David gave us the picture of just like Jesus said, the bird is ready to snatch the seed up. Satan is ever ready to snatch the seed up when it is sown. Then there's the rocky soil. Or it's the person who responds to the word initially with joy, but the cares of the world ultimately drive them away. And then there's the thorny patch. And that's the seed that is planted and someone responds initially to the word and they initially seem to be bearing fruit, but the worries and stress of life choke it out. And then, of course, there's the good soil. And here in these two parables, based on the fact that we are going to see that fruit is born from these seeds being scattered, we're going to infer that we're dealing with good soil. Now, the the emphasis of the parable of the sower was Jesus asking the listener to examine the condition of their heart by the fruit of their life. As we move into this parable of the seeds, the emphasis is more focused on the nature of the seed and the responsibility of the hearer as a sower. So let's look at this parable again. And he said the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. And the seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts it to the sickle because the harvest has come. One of the aspects that we will notice of the kingdom of God is it's a process that takes time. He sleeps and he rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain of the ear. It's a process. And we are impatient people. I am, I am the chief of sinners. As we enter this Advent season, let us not forget that this process began even before the Christmas morning. As we wait expectantly for our Savior, there were those who had waited since the earliest prophecies. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1.20, Jesus was forsaken before the foundation of the world, but wasn't made manifest until later times. When Philip runs into 
the Ethiopian eunuch. Acts tells us that he began with the book of Isaiah to tell of Christ. When Jesus was on the road to Emmaus and he's talking to the travelers, he begins with the prophets. The seed of the kingdom was planted a long, long time ago. As we read uh, in the, the opening this morning, Isaiah 9, 1 through 7, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former times he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who have dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They received before you, I mean they rejoiced before you, as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince and Pe- Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of the peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from the time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. We have this long-promised Savior who would not be manifest for centuries. Uh, there's a book we read with our smaller children. As a matter of fact, I think Josh read it as an intro to a sermon one time he was preaching, but it was basically, it basically is a board book that tells the gospel in like 26 pages. And it reminds us that uh, after Malachi, you know, the Lord was silent for centuries. And people waited in darkness for that light. And we just, we need to remember that this seed was sown a long time ago. And we need to understand that a lot of people waited a lot longer to hear from God. We need to be patient. And this is the way the kingdom grows. A foundation laid over time growing in the Lord's timing, not ours. And so in your handout, the seed was promised from the beginning. That brings us back to this parable of the kingdom of God. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. And the seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain of the ear. But when it is the grain is ripe, he at once puts it to the sickle because the harvest has come. We see in this parable the sower is responsible to sow the seed. And we know from context here and when we did the 
when David taught on the parable of the soils, the seed is the word of God. So herein lies a life truth. The first part of is this. You and I are responsible to share the word of God. That's our responsibility. Romans 10, 13 through 15, Paul tells us, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And again in Mark sixteen fifteen, And he said to them, he being Jesus, And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. I have, I have two pet peeves when it comes to pithy spiritual sayings. The second of which is this. Preach the gospel at all times. Use the words if necessary. Let me tell you, Paul used words. Peter used words. Jesus, the Son of God, used words. The seed we share is the gospel of truth. The gospel of Jesus. It is not a gospel of good deeds or being polite. Though those should be fruit of the gospel. Contrary to what some people may think, lost people can be nice too. Lost people can do charitable things too. I used to go to a church and we fed the homeless every day of the year. Um, you know, there, there was a couple of people, they did it almost every day, but everybody else in the church would take turns. And when we went to feed the homeless, we would offer food, the practical things, food and socks and gloves and blankets, but we also were sharing the gospel of Jesus. But we would often see people show up. You know, they were celebrating Ramadan and they would just drop some pizzas off, but they wouldn't share anything with them. We would see lost people show up and just offer blankets but they didn't offer them any words of truth. Being kind and being generous are fruits of the gospel, but they are not the gospel. And if I might say this, it's not a political gospel. We are not planning little Republicans and little Democrats. Now, the gospel should affect the way we politic, but that is not the gospel seed that we plant. So here, here's the seed we plant. John 8, 31 through 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It is the truth that sets people free, not a truth, not your truth, not my truth. It's the truth, the gospel truth, the truth of Jesus Christ. And as we go and sow the seed, we need to take note of this connection that Jesus says about abiding in his word. We have the responsibility to share the gospel, the whole gospel, and nothing but the gospel.
But there's a second part of this life truth, and it's this. While we are responsible to sow the seed, it is God who is responsible for the growth. 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 9, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you have believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. We sow the seed, but it is God who is responsible for the growth. Paul laid the seed, Apollos watered, God gave the growth. And in our parable, we see the farmer sows the seed and then he sleeps and rises. He knows not how the seed grows because that's God's doing. He's not in the field badgering the plant to grow, begging the plant to grow, or bribing the plant to grow. He's trusting the process that God created. And and let me let, let you guys off the hook a little bit on sharing the gospel. Not from doing it, but from the pressure. This, 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 this Bible verse has, has long been, uh, very freeing to me. Which I just realized I'm not gonna read until I read another Bible verse before it, so. <laughs> yeah, bear with me. While it's great for you and I to have great object lessons and stirring word pictures, the power is not in those. It is in the gospel. It is not in our wit, it is not in our charm or our charisma. The power is our adherence to the gospel and our trust in the Lord. The, the seed of the gospel is exponentially, this is in your handout, the seed of the gospel is exponentially powerful. Back to our parable. He said, with what can I compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall I use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all seed on the earth. Yet when it's sown, it grows up to become larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can nest in its shade. Look, we are familiar with this concept of small containing great power and great potential. You know, we think about Fission and fusion and the atom. You know, you take this microscopic thing, you split it, and you get exponential, even destructive power. You think of the zygote. Again, this microscopic organism that has everything it takes to make a full-grown human being. But the gospel is infinitely more powerful. And this is the Bible verse that just really has been transformed to me. Romans... 116, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And I say it lets you off the hook because of this. All you have to do is share the gospel. That's where the power is. The, the power for salvation is the gospel. It's not a conduit of the power. It's not a sample of the power, but it is the power. 
So while I am responsible to sow the gospel seed and to sow it coherently, and I am responsible for my words to be wise and well-chosen, and I am responsible for my words to be economical and few, and I'm responsible for them to be calm and kind, and I'm responsible for my words to be honest and true to the gospel, it is still God who gives the growth. I can fumble through sharing the gospel, but if I adhere to sharing the gospel, the power is still there. I mean, it's great that the, the more coherently I can share it, but at the end of the day, it is God who will give the growth. Looking again at verse 32, yet when it is, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in it and shade. You know, we recognize that when the gospel seed is planted and bears fruit, that it blesses the fellowship of believers. In Romans 15, Paul tells us uh, in verses 5 through 7, after he talks about sharing the gospel truth, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. When we are, are, are sowing the gospel seed, we will see unity slash harmony. We will worship together as one and we will be hospitable. But I think this parable is showing us as it, as the plant grows and gives place for the birds of the air to get shade, that the gospel seed's fruit brings benefit even to the lost. If we read the book of Daniel, we see over and over again, regardless of who the king of Babylon is, the king and the country are blessed by Daniel and his faithful Jewish brothers. Joseph was sold into slavery, and because of his adherence to God, he blessed Potiphar, his slave owner. He was then falsely thrown in jail, but because of his adherence to God, he blessed the jailer or his captor. And then even he had the opportunity to bless the Pharaoh and all of Egypt. And ultimately, the brothers who betrayed him were saved by his faithfulness to God. When I was in, when I was in school, uh, or university, um, we studied about a thing called the Protestant work ethic that used to be a recognized thing in this country that you would go and hire a Christian because you knew that they were working for their God and they were going to be a good worker for you. And so you would have companies who could, all they cared about was their bottom line and all they cared about was, you know, making a profit and their business doing well. But they would hire Christians because they expected them to be hard, faithful, diligent, and loyal workers. I came across this letter that Julian sent to his pagan 
priests back in the times of the Roman Empire during the plague. And this is what he sent to his pagan priests. All day long, some of them, referring to the Christians, tended to the dying and to their burial, countless numbers with no one to care for them. Others gathered together from all parts of the city, a multitude of those who were withered from famine and distributed bread to them. And when it came about that the poor were neglected and overlooked by our priests, then I think the impious Galileans, or the Christians, observed this fact and they devoted themselves to the philanthropy. They supported not only their poor, but ours as well. All men see that all men see that our people lack aid from us. And he proceeds to go on and tell his pagan priests that they need to start acting like the Christians because they're making them look bad because not only are they taking care of their people, but they're taking care of the pagans as well. And I would say that if we are sowing gospel seed, then we are going to bless not only the family of faith, but we are going to bless the employers that we work for, the communities that we live in, uh, the, the lost people around us as we are charitable and generous. And then I want to revisit one, uh, I want to revisit this parable one last time to make one last point, and it's this. The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter his seed on the ground He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. If we believe what the Word says about gospel fruit takes time, then I have this question for us. Do we wait? Do we persevere with joy? I heard the story of a woman who prayed for 52 years that her husband would be saved. She asked the church to pray for him. She prayed for him faithfully for 52 years. And she died and he was lost. But when she died, through the process of her funeral, he became saved. She didn't get to see the fruit of 52 years of sowing gospel seed. But she persevered. How many of us have been praying for someone for a week or a month or a year or five years or ten years and we were like, how much longer? Do we persevere in such a way that we would pray for 52 years even if we didn't get to see the fruit. There's a saying I heard that uh, great men and women plant trees that they will never experience the shade of. Are we willing to plant seeds even if we do not personally see the fruit? If the worship team would go ahead and come up, I want to close by reading Hebrews 11. And there's a couple of things I want us to see about our steadfastness in planting 
the gospel seed. Hebrews 11, beginning with verse 1. Um, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice to Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commended him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for his saving of his household. By this, condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes from faith. And by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out and place that to a place that he was to receive his inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, when he lived in the land of promise as as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city whose foundations, whose designers, designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born the descendants, as many as the stars in heavens, and as many as the innumerable grains on the seashore. Now listen to this. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. They were faithful, but had not received the things promised in their lifetime. But having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on this earth, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. And they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out. They would not, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desired a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared them a city. And by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which... Figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked a future blessing on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of his sons, uh, each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that he was that the child was beautiful, and that they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, 
choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasure of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. By the, <clears throat> but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall we say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Japheth, of David, of Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness and became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains of imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. All of these, though commended through faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. We, or we, I just read all of these heroes of faith who acted mightily for God, planted great seeds, but the writer of Hebrews reminds us they did not see the fruit that they were sowing. But they faithfully change the world. So what what may I ask are you and I what what are we sowing that God wants us to persevere in in joy. Uh, I thought this morning as we were in the prayer room about Paul who when he was struck blind by Jesus you know we know he was going to be blind for 3 days cuz <coughs> For us, it's two sentences later. But Paul was blind for three days thinking he was blind for the rest of his life. As we enter into this time of prayer, I want us to ask these questions to ourselves. Do we believe what happens in the Word of God applies out here? Do we trust that if we are, if we are blind, do we trust that in three days, the answer is coming. Do we trust that when the word tells us that all things work out for the good of them who believes, and it doesn't say all good things, all things, good or bad, are we waiting faithfully and patiently with joy? And then the other question I just want us to ask ourselves as we close, what seed are we sowing? Are we sowing the word of God faithfully? Are we faithful and diligent to the gospel? Or do we feel like we've got to act like God's PR person and clean up the parts that we're uncomfortable with?
And so as the prayer partners come up, you know, obviously, you know, whatever you need, they're willing to pray for you. But I would ask us these three questions. Are you, are you and I waiting patiently with joy? Do we believe the word of God? And what seed are we sowing? Father God, may you open our hearts and open our eyes to you as we humbly lay ourselves before your word in Jesus name.